We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. First Monday show since September 12th, where we're not talking about football games on this show. No, I did not watch the Pro Bowl. I didn't watch any of it. Uh, I heard about some of it, uh, but I did not watch it. But no real football yesterday for the first time uh, since September 12th from an NFL perspective. First Sunday uh, yesterday without football since Labor Day weekend because there were college games on Sunday uh, over Labor Day weekend. I hate when football season is over. Uh, But we do have a game to talk about, and that would be Super Bowl 57. And my first guest on the show coming up next segment will be Ruben Frank. Ruben's covered the Eagles for years for NBC Sports Philly. He'll be my guest next. We'll get the Eagles perspective as he'll join us from Arizona. Uh, After that, Josh Robbins, who covers the Wizards for The Athletic, he will be on the show. The Wizards... The Wizards blew a 20-point lead Friday night in a loss to Portland. And on Saturday night, they blew a 23-point lead against the Nets and lost that game. First team in 25 years in the NBA to lose back-to-back games after having 20-point or greater leads in both of those games. I had Wes Unsell Jr. on the show radio show Friday. He was really good. You can still go back and listen to that uh, at the team980.com. Um, but I really, and Friday night watching the Portland game, the first half, I really thought this is a pretty good team. And I know Tommy was mocking me last week. And yes, they were in the midst of a six game win streak. And those wins weren't, you know, over the most impressive lot of teams. But still, I thought Friday night, I'm like, I'm watching a team that's going to win 42, 43 games. And they're going to be a six seed. They're going to they're going to avoid the play-in round. I really thought that that was going to happen on Friday night in the first half, and then it didn't happen. And so I feel differently. So that's enough on them. Uh, I'll have Josh on the show because we can talk about what's next. Almost, uh, we'll talk a, a little bit about what happened over the weekend. Um, I'm going to start the show though today, and we do have some football coming up here shortly. I'm going to start the show with Kyrie Irving, all right? And I want uh, Joe and Kevin and Basil, or Basil, however you pronounce uh, that name, Kristen, 
Um, four people who uh, reached out to me um, this morning after the radio show and kind of put their own spin on my Kyrie Irving take. Um, I want the four of you and everybody else to listen very carefully because I'm going to spit out exactly what I spat out this morning on radio. Kyrie Irving professionally is despicable. Professionally, Kyrie Irving is despicable. There are other words that fit, you know, unaccountable, selfish, greedy, narcissistic, narrow-minded. A few of the ways that you could describe his lack of professionalism, which is what I'm describing. I don't know him personally. Some of the worldviews he espouses makes me believe that I wouldn't think much of him personally. And I'm not talking, by the way, about the vaccine stance that he had. Uh, I've always been in the camp of your body, your decision. Um, But as I said about Kirk Cousins last year and Kyrie Irving last year, I think their specific positions, their their jobs, being a part of a team, uh, being paid ungodly sums of money, um, their absences uh, impacting the livelihoods of many others in their business, in their company, on their team, I think he should have gotten the shot. It's the same thing I said about Kirk Cousins, so don't shoot back at me inaccurately. That's exactly what I said about Kirk Cousins. I said he should have gotten the shot last year. He He's paid a lot of money, and there are a lot of people that rely on him, and he wasn't there. I'm not talking about this past season, the season before. He wasn't there in their biggest game of the year at the end of last year when they were still in playoff contention, and they had a game at Green Bay on Sunday night football, and he was out because he tested positive for COVID. Now, of course, he could have gotten the vaccine and still tested positive for COVID. Understood. Trust me, you don't have to get started with me on the vaccine. And whether or not it was really a vaccine or whether or not it was really a therapeutic. All right. It reduced the chances of getting very, very sick. That was the benefit. I'm all for. I'm pro-vaccine. I've been vaccinated and boosted twice, I think. Boosted? I think I got that second booster shot. Um, But Kyrie Irving, professionally, this guy is a joke. He is blown up. He has sabotaged every situation He's been in Cleveland, Boston, and now Brooklyn. He's someone who just doesn't care about the rules, but more than that, just doesn't care about commitment. He has no sense of the professional quid pro quo, something for something. I give you something like a big contract, and you give me something back like, how about let's just start with showing up for work? Is that too much to ask? You're getting paid at the very least, to just show up. It's probably too much to ask someone like him for best effort, you know, best behavior. But just show the F up for work. He's not the owner. He doesn't sign the checks. He cashes them. Few of us, few of us are our own bosses. He is not his own boss. He's behaved like he is. He's completely detached from... I think what most reasonable people would believe is professional behavior. You've got a job. You're getting paid. Don't you have to show up for work? Not him. 
He played 143, 143 out of a possible 318 games in Brooklyn. 143 out of 318. And yes, I get it. Some of those were because of the vaccination issues and him being prevented from playing. But other times, eh, he just didn't feel like it. Uh, He was really, really uh, in a mental um, mess after various events, January 6th and other things. And I got to take the day off. Actually, I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks off. Let's be fair, too, about this. It's the adults that have let him get away with this. And by the way, they'll let him get away with it again in Dallas. You watch. He's not going to just change overnight. And that's what happens when you're as good as he is. And my God, is he a good player. He's one of the most gifted basketball players when it comes to ball handling and scoring in one body that I've ever seen. I've often said that Steph Curry, to me, is the greatest ball handler and shooter in one body that I've ever seen in the NBA. Kyrie Irving is certainly one of the two to three greatest ball handlers and scorers in one body that I've ever seen. But the adults, you know, the adults have enabled him. Now, recently, they've they've pushed back. I mean, the Nets, justifiably so, did not give him what he wanted last offseason, which was the massive extension. How could you? You know, even considering the talent, you can't give someone like that commitment when he's already proven to you that he won't reciprocate the commitment. He's not reliable. He's not accountable, and he doesn't give a shit about being reliable or accountable. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. The Nets finally said no last year. Show us you've changed, and we'll address the contract down the road. Down the road for him meant the trade deadline. Like, hey, have you seen me playing recently? Forget that anti-Semitic thing that I, you know, that I got myself in, in, into a mess with and got suspended for earlier in the season. I've been playing great. Pay me. They didn't want to do it. They hadn't seen enough. It was only, we're not even at the all-star break. And he's played well. He's missed 12 games this year, but he's played well in the games that he's played in. 27-plus points a game, you know, 48% shooting. I mean, he's carried Brooklyn to being competitive with Durant being out, hurt. But it's not even the all-star break yet. He hadn't led them or contributed to a championship yet since arriving in Brooklyn. In fact, as most of you know, they've only won one playoff series with him in Brooklyn. One. It's one of the biggest flops in American team sports history. Kevin Durant, James Harden at one point, Kyrie Irving, they combined to win one playoff series. You know, they were the huge favorite, huge favorite, overwhelming favorite to win the title in 21-22. They were the favorite to win the East in 2020-2021. And they won one playoff series. It is an all-time bust of a team. Kevin Durant um, is not Kyrie Irving. He dies to play. He's had injuries, but he wants to play. He wants to win. He plays when he's supposed to play. But, man, is his judgment, you know, poor. It's been misguided. He left Steph Curry to play with Kyrie Irving. 
Imagine making that choice. Most people, you know, don't get to choose who they work with. Kevin Durant does, did, and he chose Kyrie Irving over Steph Curry. Ouch. Uh, The fallout of this, uh, of course, um, as it is whenever Kyrie Irving goes into a place, blows it up, and then heads to another place, is kind of the mess left in his wake. Although, really, I would imagine when he goes for the team that sees him leave, it's probably a relief on some level. Um, But what will Durant do now in Brooklyn? I mean, you know, he asked to be dealt last summer, and they said no. Does he ask to be uh, traded again? Will they make a move with Durant before the deadline? Hey, D.C., Durant, how about coming home? I don't think he wants to. Um, And then the Lakers apparently weren't interested in reuniting Kyrie with LeBron. I don't know if you saw this. The L.A. Times reported that while LeBron wanted it, of course, they ignored LeBron because, after all, he's not a very good GM. Hell of a player. But the Lakers didn't want the Kyrie nonsense around their hallowed halls. So LeBron, as he gets ready to set the NBA all-time scoring mark, passing Kareem this week, uh, you know, will he be salty that he didn't get what he wanted and look to get out? Meantime, Dallas, good luck with that one. From a basketball perspective, I can't wait to see how Luka, who, by the way, dominates the ball as much as any player in the league. I can't wait to see how he coexists with Kyrie Irving. Anyway, uh, I want to read a quick Apple review and remind everybody to rate us and review us wherever you can, especially on Apple Podcasts where they give you an opportunity to rate us up to five stars and write a quick one to two sentence review. It's very helpful. Um, Keeps our uh, advertisers and prospective advertisers uh, really uh, interested in the show. This from JF1. As a subscriber from the beginning, the podcast is intelligent, entertaining, and informative. A lot of sports programming is guys just yelling at each other with repetitive takes. Kevin, Tom, their guest Ben, I'm assuming assuming Standig, Cooley, and others provide the thoughtful analysis other than the exception Kirk Cousins being top of the league QB, he writes in parentheses. Um, He writes, I find it hard to find intelligent conversation in sports media. This podcast provides that while being funny and consistent with relevant, relevant local content. Thank you, JF1. By the way, I think there is a lot of intelligent conversation in our sports media. Not every market has as much, but I think there is a lot of it. Um, By the way, Kirk Cousins, I've never said, is a top of the league QB. I've said he is a top half of the league QB. And I want to to amend that, not because of the performance in the Pro Bowl where he brought the NFC back, apparently, in the flag football game. I didn't watch that. I mean, look, that's all he did this year was bring his team back at a record eight fourth-quarter comebacks this year. I think he's a top third of the league starting quarterback. That would be... Top 10 to 11, yeah, he's somewhere in that range. Maybe 12, but I don't know. With the quarterback play this year, he's probably easy, 10 to 11. Be hard to find 11 guys or 12 guys that are definitely better as a starter than him. Uh, There was some Washington news that I want to just mention real quickly before we get 
to uh, Ruben uh, Frank from NBC Sports Philly. Uh, there was a report uh, today from Washington Business Journal that Dan Snyder's Potomac estate is on the market for $49 million. By the way, that would be a record sale in the D.C. area if he sells it for $49 million. Um, I know for a fact that this property has been on for a while now. Uh, they've been trying to sell this property for a while now. It's been on privately for a while. It's been on publicly before. So it's been on the market, taken off, put back on. But they've been trying to sell this pro- uh, property for a while now. The news really would be if he puts his Virginia residence up for sale, the one that he bought back in 2021 for $48 million. If that one goes up, that's new. And that would suggest that maybe they have moved on from the area as well. Uh, You know, there was some of that reporting about them taking up residence in the UK. Uh, I also wanted to mention something that Ben Standig wrote in his column this morning. He wrote a story that Eric Biennemi and Washington have mutual interest uh, in the offensive coordinator position here. Here's the specific uh, part that he wrote uh, that... Uh, speaks to, quote, multiple people with direct knowledge of the situation told The Athletic that uh, the team hopes to interview Eric Bieniemy and that mutual interest exists. So, look, the, the people that they've already interviewed, nobody's been hired from that group. So there's not a, like, big-time rush They'll wait for this Super Bowl. They'll interview Biennemi, I'm sure, early next week. But the fact that there's mutual interest, um, you know, Biennemi, we've talked about this, okay? Why would he move from Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes to Washington? Because he'll have the opportunity to design offensive game plans and call plays, something that he has not done in Kansas City. So that's why he would move laterally now Will there be other opportunities that are better than Washington where, you know, he's not going to work um, for potentially a lame duck head coach? Yeah, that's, that's you know, possible. We'll see. I don't know what opportunities are going to exist for Eric Bieniemy, But if they meet with him and he's got a better offer and he goes somewhere else or they interview him and they decide not to offer him, they've got other guys that they've offered that clearly – it's not like the league is, you know, uh, you know, foaming at the mouth to hire. None of those people have been hired yet, and they always have Zampezi that they can turn back to in the event that they get shut out uh, everywhere else. Um, Scott Turner got hired by the Las Vegas Raiders to be their passing game coordinator. Remember, Josh McDaniels, for all intents and purposes, is the OC in, in Vegas and calls plays. Now, Scott Turner will have passing game coordinator as his title. Um, didn't take long for Scott to find a gig. Many of you have reached out to me to say, is Taylor Heineke going to go to Vegas? I don't know. I have no idea. They've got Jarrett Stidham. That was Josh McDaniels' guy in New England. Uh, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a possibility to Vegas, I would think. A couple of other quick things, and then we'll get to Reuben Frank and talk Eagles in advance of Super Bowl 57. Matt Miller, I think, covers the draft for ESPN, and he put out his first mock draft this morning on ESPN.com. 16, Washington on the clock. They select Anthony 
Richardson, quarterback, Florida. So I've talked a lot about Anthony Richardson. Nick Ackridge from Pro Football Focus was on the show. I would urge you to listen to that if you haven't. Nick was great on Friday's show. Uh, he's already started to look at some of the quarterbacks. Uh, he likes Richardson as well. I do. I watch a lot of college football. I watched a lot of Anthony Richardson. I think he is flawed. He's got bad mechanics. He throws inaccurately, I think, because of those bad mechanics. But he is a freak athletically. He's 6'4". He's 230. I don't know what he's going to run, but he's not going to run any less than 4'4". Um, he's got the strongest arm, more likely than not, in the entire class. And he was brilliant at times on a very bad team, a bad Florida team. Not a lot of weapons, terrible defense this year. Had to kind of carry them. Um, all I don't know if he's the right guy or not. I don't get to sit down and, and, and have the conversations with Anthony Richardson that the team does to find out if he loves football, if he's a quick study, if he's going to be coachable, all the things that are so important, especially in that position. I don't know anything about him. But I would continue to look at quarterbacks until I know I have the answer for the next 10 years. And when I'm talking about the answer, I'm talking about the guy that's good enough to produce more years than not over a 10-year period, call it six out of the 10 years, maybe seven out of the 10, something approaching double-digit wins and a playoff berth. That's a franchise quarterback. You're in the tournament six out of 10 years over a 10-year career, seven out of 10 years. You win double digits, you know, half of those years. And in three or four of those years, you're a legitimate threat to go super deep and win it all. I'm swinging until I land on that guy and I know that I have that guy. I mean that means this draft, that means this 16th pick in the draft, that means trading up if I'm in love with Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or trading for Justin Fields if I think he's the answer. Because I'm not sure it's Sam Howell. I can't imagine that they're sure that it's Sam Howell. It might be Sam Howell. But more likely than not, it isn't going to be Sam Howell. Uh, Also, I wanted to talk real quickly, I promise, college hoops. First of all, I wish I had had a smell test on Saturday because Indiana was favored uh, against Purdue. Indiana had just lost to Maryland by double digits, and they were favored by a point over Purdue. Yes, I had Indiana. I also had Virginia Tech. Uh, that was a pick'em against Virginia, who was ranked fifth in the country. The Indiana-Purdue game was great. Indiana won. Uh, Purdue remained number one. I just saw the rankings just came out moments ago. Real quickly on Maryland, they blew out uh, Minnesota, a 35-point win at Minnesota. The Terps really have it together right now. By the way, their Ken Palm number is 23. Their net ranking number this morning, 27. They're not just in the tournament. They are safely safely in the tournament as we speak right now. Now, they play at Michigan State tomorrow night, and Izzo's team uh, has lost two in a row. Not the best spot to get Michigan State in. But Maryland's really figured it out. They really have played good basketball. They've been a good defensive team all year long. Once they stopped turning the ball over, and I think that's really just about getting more um, time together because this really is a new team, new coaching staff, obviously. 
Um, Jameer Young's been huge. The fact that they got him from Charlotte in the transfer portal, and he's turned out to be much better than I think even Kevin Willard thought he would be. But, you know, now that everybody sort of understands their role, including the guys off the bench, they're not turning the ball over. When they were getting blown out there for a stretch, I mean, they got blown out a couple of times. They beat Minnesota the other night, 81 to 46. They lost to Michigan on New Year's Day, 81 to 46. A game that they were down in 44 to 13 at halftime. Against UCLA, I think they were down by 39 or 40 in that game. Um, they got they took a couple on the chin, big time, but they were still figuring it out. And what they were doing, even as I was watching those games, is they were really still giving the effort defensively. They were just a mess offensively. You know, I think uh, Willard told me this when he was on the podcast last week. And if he didn't tell me this on the podcast, he's told me this um, off the air that. Getting used to the Big Ten took some time. You know, he said, well-scouted league, grinded-out league, hard to run in this league because teams really do, you know, they scout you well, they get back on defense, they're very well-coached. Um, but, you know, they've now figured it out, and they actually turned a bunch of turnovers against Minnesota into points. Minnesota's terrible. They lost their, their ga- the game before losing to Maryland uh, by the same uh, uh, margin of, of loss, 35 points to Rutgers. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Maryland's now won five of its last six, four in a row. Tomorrow night won't be easy, um, but I'm really happy. Um, I've got something right now to really focus on. This is, for me, and for, for some of you, you know, when the football season ends and you head towards March, you want your team to be a part of March. And for seven out of eight years, they were a part of March. We weren't always so sure how they would do, I understand, and they didn't, you know, do enough in March. We've had that conversation before. But they were a part of March, you know, seven out of the last uh, eight years, um, or six out of the last seven, six out of the last seven. And of course, one of those years, they, the tournament was canceled because of the pandemic. But they're going to the tournament, barring an absolute collapse. They are going to the tournament, and they're going to be interesting when they get there because if they can really finish strong down the stretch here and, and say, you know, they're third in the Big Ten right now, tied for third in the Big Ten. If they finish in the top four in the Big Ten, and they end up with, let's just say, an 11 and nine record. You know, they've got eight games left that they, if they go four and four, or let's say they go five and three and they're 12 and eight in the Big Ten and finish in the top four, and they've got 21 wins, you know, they're going to be pushing the outer edges of like a five seed. They're not, we're not talking about, you know, they'll be favored in a first round game. Uh, so good job by my Terps. Um, it's been fun to watch them. Uh, all right. Um, let's get to Ruben Frank. Oh, I wanted to mention, I've been watching The Last of Us. I'll talk about it tomorrow with Tommy. I'm all caught up. I watched episode four last night. Episode three, wow. Emotional. I did not see that one coming. For those of you that have asked me to watch it because you know that um, I, I was looking for a show, I'm into it. I think it's good. Um, I wouldn't call it great yet, but we're only four episodes in. Uh, last night was good too. Uh, all right. Ruben Frank, uh, Philadelphia's NBC sports Philly, 
uh, Eagles, a reporter, longtime reporter, will be our guest next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Super Bowl 57 on Sunday, Eagles and the Chiefs. Ruben Frank from NBC Sports Philadelphia in a moment. First, though, I want to tell you about MyBookie's unique deposit bonus offer that lets you cash in and cash out quickly. It's a unique deposit bonus for sports bettors who want to focus on what to bet and not sweat the payout. Make your first deposit today using my promo code Kevin DC. Wager your deposit amount once and you're eligible to cash out. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on the big game with my bookie. They've got everything you want for the big game. All of the pregame stuff, all of the live in-game action, all of the prop bets. Just go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code Kevin DC where you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere and you'll get your first deposit out after you've wagered that deposit just one time. MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. All right, let's bring on Ruben Frank from NBC Sports Philadelphia. We've had Ruben on the podcast and the radio show uh, many times in the past. You can follow Ruben on Twitter at R-O-O-B-N-B-C-S. Um, he has covered the Eagles for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to start with Nick Sirianni, Ruben, because he's a bit of a mystery figure, I think, for a lot of NFL fans. He isn't for you guys. I mean, a lot of us just remember the introductory press conference, which did not go smoothly um, for him. Um, but you wrote about him here recently. Um, tell us about Nick Sirianni and why he's been able to not only win over uh, the fan base and the locker room, but in year two, put his team into a Super Bowl. Yeah, it's been really interesting watching it. And I, I remember that night after that press conference writing uh, a story about how you know, press conferences don't win games. Press conferences don't, you know, really have no no meaning and uh, in, in the big picture. And uh, I was remembering that Chip Kelly's press conference was probably the slickest, smoothest one I've ever seen by a new head coach. <laughs> And Andy Reid kind of, you know, stumbled and muttered under his breath. You can even hear him, and you know he's now a Hall of Fame coach. And you just, you just never know. And you know, I think he he came in, and it, it was interesting because none of the players knew who he was, uh, but he he immediately made an impression by uh, his enthusiasm, his energy, his knowledge of football, uh, X and O's, and his authenticity. I have trouble with that word, but he's. He's so genuine, and 
Um, he just made it a point. I mean, his his big word is connecting, and he made it a point to get to know everybody on the roster, uh, know all about their lives and how they were how they were raised. And he's just big on everyone, kind of getting to know everyone else. And his theory is that you, you know, you're going to play harder for people you care about, and, and the the more you know someone, the, the more you're going to you know, care about them. And it's really worked. And it's kind of a it's almost like a high school approach, but it works because. He's he, he's so smart, such a terrific offensive coach, and surrounded himself with a great staff. And he's just so real, and he comes across when you know, I don't know how he comes across to, to outsiders, but when you just talk to him, I mean, he's he's so dynamic and enthusiastic and authentic and genuine. And this kind of stuff falls on its face if uh, you know if if a guy is not genuine. Players will see right through, especially veterans. And and once you lose them, it's over. You you have no shot. So I think he kind of came in and and just uh, impressed everyone with his football knowledge and his um, his realness right from the get go. And they realized that he was going to make them better, and they're going to have a chance to win. And and they all fell in line. And here we are. Before the season started, I think the number one question about your team was, is Jalen Hurts the the answer at quarterback? Can he take a big step forward? Because the team around him looked, you know, very good. Um, he, he, he made – he took that step. He's in the Super Bowl. You're going to have to pay him in Philadelphia. When do, you, when do you think they knew, the team knew, that Jalen Hurts was the right guy? Yeah, it's a great question. I think they knew last year, and – uh, I, I think this year, to, to people who saw him every day and how he was working and learning and growing, how obsessed he was with getting better, uh, knew that. I mean, he had the physical tools, so he has a big arm. We knew he can run. It was just a matter of learning the NFL game. And uh, you know, I think he he. You know, there were moments last year where you were like, you know, just wow moments. If he could do that consistently, the guy's going to be a star. And so. I mean, I think from the outside, it looks like he, he, you know, kind of this came out of nowhere. But um, he's been working toward this uh, for for a couple years, and uh, he was in his first year under a new coach last year, and still played at such a high level as a 23 year old that uh, you know you could see that the work ethic was there. He was getting better. He was going to have better pieces around him. I think in training camp, we all watched him and we were like, "This is going to be special." and uh, you know, even before the season started, we kind of had a feeling. Look, I, I, I didn't know they were going to win 14 games and go to the Super Bowl, but I did pick them to win 12 games and get to the NFC Championship game. So you, you could tell just watching the kid that he was going to be a star. Talk about what he is in the locker room. I've had Merrill Reese on the show multiple times this year before the games with Washington. I think I had you on one week. Um, he said that he's one of the best locker room leaders this organization's had in a long time. Do you agree with that? Yeah, there's no question, and and it's yeah. I'm not. I think leadership is is just kind of an overused, overrated thing. Well, describe um, it any way you want to describe it. Yeah, well, I think with him it's real because. Um, he does it so effortlessly, and he, he doesn't try to be a leader. I mean, we've seen, we've all seen, I can think of one quarterback who played for Washington and the Eagles who, <laughs> I can think of two who, <laughs> who talked about leadership, and, and then, you know, and then maybe it's about themselves in, in the big picture. They say all the right things, but then they don't live it. And Jalen doesn't say it. He just goes about his business, and 
I think his work ethic is so off the charts that players are like, you know, if, if he's doing it, I'm going to do it because, you know, I mean, this is, this is the quarterback, and you know, he's he's uh, he just does it effortlessly. And, uh, you know, there's a couple moments you see, you know, post-game and, you know, where he's kind of letting his guard down. Uh, but for the most part, he's just very quiet and driven. And I think that rubs off on people. If you're around someone who's, you know, if you, if you work with somebody in any business who, who's that obsessed with getting better and, and doing a great job and making the people around them better, you're going to want to do that too. And, and that's really what leadership is. How healthy is he? Bring out, bringing out the best out of, out of everyone else. How healthy uh, is he? Yeah, it's, a, it's hard to tell. He doesn't really let on much. He's, he's not 100%. Uh, you know, they didn't throw much in either even the first two games, the Giants and, and 49ers, but they didn't need to. Um, so they had such a big lead in both games for different reasons so early that they, they were kind of close to the vest after the middle of the second quarter. So he wasn't throwing much. He wasn't running much. He was just kind of out there managing big leads. Uh, so it's really hard to tell. He, he's definitely not healthy, uh, but um, he's functional. Um, I think he's uh, in some discomfort, um, but he's been able to make the throws. Uh, I don't expect him to be pre-injury Jalen uh, on some, next Sunday, this coming Sunday. But I, I do think he'll be able to, uh, you know, play at a high level. Um, I, I would guess he's like in that eighty-five percent range, somewhere around there. But he's very guarded; doesn't doesn't even talk about the injury. And um, you know, I think it's been, gosh, it's been about six weeks now, so. He's had a chance to heal. He's had two bye weeks. Uh, he didn't take many hits at all in the two games he played. So he's getting better, but he's he's definitely definitely not all there. We're talking to Reuben Frank, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Did any of the offseason acquisitions that you guys made from Reddick, Bradbury, Gardner-Johnson, A.J. Brown, did any of them not perform at a high level? Uh, they all played well. I think Kaiser White kind of got off to a slow start. Uh, he's played better over the last month. Uh, but, no, really, every single guy they brought in, um, there was a safety they signed to Quiskey Tart, who they, they ended up releasing. So I guess that was, the, that was the big – I don't think they even gave him a bonus. So um, that was the big swing and a miss, I guess. But it, it was really a remarkable offseason for Howie Roseman. Um, finding talent in different ways, trades, you know, waiver claims, uh, free agents, and you know they they got Brad. They waited till the Giants released Bradbury, um, and and snapped him up. And they, um, you know, a guy like Chauncey Gardner Johnson. That was like the end of training camp. That was after training camp. He was. I mean, that was like the last week of August. So they, Howie is is so good at being creative and building a roster. And uh, you know, his his thing is the the off season's not over till the trade deadline. <laughs> And he's gonna, you know, he's he's gonna look under every every stone. And when you combine that with his improving, I guess, scouting instincts, um, you have a really effective GM who who knows how to build a, a championship roster. I mean, we really didn't even see the best of what we think is going to be an absolute mountain of an interior defensive lineman in Jordan Davis this year because they really didn't need him. Yeah, Jordan played pretty well, and yeah, he didn't play a lot of snaps. I think he averaged 17 snaps a game, um, but he—he's—I mean—he's going to be a monster, and he's—he's 
he's a young kid, and uh, he's you know, it's a long season for a rookie. Uh, expectations were really high. I think people were down on him because they expected him to come in and play 50 snaps a game as a first round pick. But yeah, when you have when you have the talent they have on the interior of the D line, you don't you don't need to do that. And when he has played, he's been effective. I mean, I still think he's going to be a Pro Bowl interior lineman in, in a couple of years. He's just he's so talented. But you know, he'll learn the NFL game. He's got great guys to learn from. And you look at Fletcher Cox and Hargrave and Sue and Linval Joseph. I mean, it's quite a quite a group of interior linemen and, and I had a long talk with him on like I think it was Friday before we came out here and he's just you know, he, he feels like next year when he's probably his snaps will probably double, he, he feels like he's gonna be ready to make a huge impact. God, it's it's quite a team um this year Philadelphia is. But with that said you know, there is discussion about the schedule that they played, even though the division turned out, as we both know, to be much better top to bottom than anybody sort of anticipated. Um, and then, you know, the the you know the the break of of playing basically no quarterback in the second half in the NFC Championship game and playing an overwhelmed Giants team in the divisional round is that a concern? for you in terms of the opponent on Sunday being the Chiefs, the best opponent that Philly's faced all year. I don't even think it's close. Yeah, I mean they're nine and one against winning teams, so uh it you know, they 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 play well against good teams, but uh, obviously the Chiefs are on a different class. I look at it like I mean you can only play who's on the schedule and uh you know, so I don't think they have anything to apologize for. No. I do think that I, I do think that the way they beat the Giants and the 49ers with really a minimum of effort on either side of the ball um, is a good thing. You know, it's almost like they've had a, you know, like four straight bye weeks. <laughs> it's like they just, you know, they're healthy. Um, they, you know, they, they got to rest starters late in both those games. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's the way it worked out. I mean, they, it's almost like they had a walkover in the 49ers game, but, you know, it was that was because Shanahan decided to try to block Hassan Reddick with a tight end. So it wasn't like <laughs> and right, you know, true. It, it wasn't like you know they got lucky. I mean, they made a play that they made plays to knock both their quarterbacks out of the game because yeah, they, they couldn't block the Eagles' defensive front. So you know they made those breaks. It wasn't like you know wasn't like Brock Purdy got hurt running down onto the field and down the tunnel or something. So um, both games were easy um, because they played well. So. Uh, look, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a uh, huge challenge Sunday. Uh, the Chiefs are so well coached; they're so dynamic on offense. Um, but uh, yeah, the Eagles are pretty good too. So let's talk about Sunday. Um, what are as you've you know looked at this game now for a week already, and it may change by the time you get to Sunday. But right now, how do the Eagles beat the Chiefs? For me, the, the the key matchup is the Eagles D line against the Chiefs O line, and, and the Chiefs O line is pretty good. Uh, they're really good, um, but I, I do think there's some advantages the Eagles have on the edge with with Reddick and Sweat uh, against Wiley and Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown's a really good player, but uh, I, I really like that Reddick and Wiley matchup. I think that's uh, I like Reddick against anybody, and and Sweat is a guy who's going to get pressure against anyone. So. Uh, the interior, they're really good up front uh, in the middle. Their guards and, and center, uh, Creed Humphrey is kind of like the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey is the, the best center in the league. But uh, I think that if they pressure Mahomes, and if you don't pressure Mahomes, you have no shot. 
I mean, that's just a given. But I, I really think, especially with his ankle, I'm not sure how how his escapability is at this point, which is such a big thing for him, kind of buying himself time and finding open guys down the field. Uh, if they don't pressure him, they're, they're in big trouble. If they do, uh, they're going to be in the game, and that's how they've, you know, that's how they've gotten this far. I mean, they had what seventy. 72 sacks, including the postseason. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a crazy number. They had 29 all last year. Uh, so if they can keep that up and they just bring waves of guys, you know, five guys with, um, you know, seven and a half sacks, four guys with 11 sacks, first team ever to do that. So if they can pressure them, they'll, they'll be in the game. That, to me, that's the key matchup. Does this one, Ruben, feel different than 2017 because of, you know, Foles having to come in in the postseason after Wentz got hurt out in L.A., um, and you're facing Brady? I mean, you're facing Mahomes and the Chiefs. It's it's a daunting task, but you're the favorite. Philly's the favorite in this game. Does it feel any different than it did um, five years ago? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not underdogs. I mean, that was like their big you know, mantra, the, the underdogs. They had the underdog masks. And they don't have that mentality this year, you know, that whole nobody believes in us, you know, stick <laughs> that yeah. they kind of, you know, rode in, in 17. But they're, they're such different teams. There's only only three starters who, who are left from, you know, or four starters who are left from uh, from that team and, and a couple of kind of kicker and a, and a backup. So uh, they're just totally, totally different personalities. Uh, this team doesn't have that underdog um, edge to them. They just kind of very methodical. I think that team was a lot in 17 was really emotional. They, they thrived on the emotion of, of Nick replacing Carson and, uh, and, and this team just kind of very methodical. And this is just another game to them. They're, they really have this approach that, you know, we have a game against the chiefs Sunday. Let's go out and let's go out and play. It's, it's a, it's different from, from that standpoint. And of course, a lot of that is, is Doug Peterson versus Nick. They're very different personalities. Uh, but two great coaches. All right, last one. Um, the discussion this week will be a lot of the, you know, Andy Reid against his former team. What does Philadelphia think of Andy Reid today? You know, it's a funny stat that the Eagles and Chiefs are 3-3 three and three against each other in their last six games, and Andy Reid is the winning coach on all six games. Uh, <laughs> oh, a little wow. quirk there. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, people in Philly appreciate Andy – he kind of put the Eagles back back on the map, uh, even though he never won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Uh, he he really created the the atmosphere for the success that Doug and even Nick had just by uh, well, a he brought in Howie Roseman. I mean, that's that's a guy who built two champion or two you know Super Bowl teams, uh, but also it was Andy who really first introduced the whole notion of, of building along the two lines and everything else will fall into place. He, he kind of brought that to Philadelphia and they've won with that, you know, with that philosophy ever since. So I think people appreciate him and, and, and like him, but it's also been 10 years since, since he was here, uh, which makes it crazy that three of his guys are still starting. Kelsey, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, uh, guys that he drafted. Wow. But, uh, you know, it's it's it's. I think time has has kind of taken away a lot of the. You know, by the end, people were not. You know, there, there weren't a lot of Andy Reid fans. You know, it went bad, and um, you know, he, a lot of people thought he was um, he was he, he he overstayed his welcome, I guess. Uh, and 
so I think a lot of the the, the hard feelings and the you know have, have gone away. But uh, people like him, but they certainly hoping he loses Sunday. Enjoy the week out there. Um, thanks so much for making time for me. As always, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Enjoy the game. Ruben Frank from NBC Sports Philadelphia covering a second Eagles team in five years playing in a Super Bowl. Up next, Josh Robbins covers the Wizards for The Athletic. We'll talk about uh, the complete meltdowns of their last two games and look ahead to the trade deadline. Are they going to be buyers or sellers? We'll find out with Josh right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's bring on to the podcast Josh Robbins. Josh covers the Wizards for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Joshua B. Robbins, uh, as I do with all of our uh, all of our guests from The Athletic. I encourage all of you to subscribe to The Athletic. It's totally worth it. Everybody understands that Ben does a great job. Josh does a great job covering the Wizards, David Aldridge, everybody else that's there. Um, so go do that. So we've got Josh on the show um, because of, of a, just what was a disastrous weekend. I mentioned it in the open of the podcast, but I got, you know, I, I get tricked into this, Josh, all the time because they got a six game winning streak. I understand they're not playing great teams and they're playing teams that weren't playing well, but still, it's the NBA. You play who's on the schedule. They've got a six game win streak. They looked good doing it. And then Friday night, when they took, you know, a 20, you know, a 20 point lead, I'm like, wow, this is going to be seven in a row. And then they proceeded to blow a 20 point lead against the Blazers. And even worse in a game against the Nets on Saturday night, where they could have scored 50 in the first quarter, they were at 39 and there were still three and a half minutes left in the first quarter. And they had a 23 point lead and they became the first NBA team in back-to-back games to lose a 20 point or larger lead in 25 years, what in God's name happened on Friday night and Saturday night? Well, I can go into the X's and O's. <laughs> Please. Which, and I'll do, I'll, do, I'll do so quickly. Uh, they just could not guard no. the other team's guards. Not even close. Lillard and Anthony Simons for Portland, and then the next night, Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas scored over 40 points. No career high. Uh, for the Nets, uh, and Edmund Sum- Sumner. You know, you, they look like all four players that I, who I mentioned play perform like all-stars. They just could not guard those guys. Um, but beyond that, beyond the X's and O's, and then offensively they couldn't handle the switching that Portland did, which is a recurrent theme with this team, uh, the, the ball movement ground to a halt. But beyond that, they are who they are. They are in a middle-of-the-road team. You know, people would use the word mediocre. And mediocre teams in, in this league are prone to, to huge oscillations. To, uh, sometimes they look great. Sometimes they look atrocious. Uh, the Wizards manage to do both within single games, and they do it they, you know, one after the other. It was, that was 
even for an old old man beat writer like me, that was uh, amazing to see. Yeah, I mean, I talked about it in the open. I mean, Cam Thomas, 29 minutes, 44 points off the bench for a guy that was averaging, you know, seven point something um, per game. Uh, so we we have a trade deadline that's coming up. Um, the Wizards obviously already moved Rui Hachimura. By the way, Kendrick Nunn has yet to meet a shot that he doesn't like since since coming to Washington. I actually really like the way he's played, um, but he's able to get up some sh- some shots in in in, in just a few minutes. Um, so let's let's talk about what you think they'll do because I know that two games shouldn't change their mind. I had Wes Unseld on the radio show Friday, Josh, and I came away from that thinking, you know what? They think they're pretty good. They think they can go win 42, 43 games, finishes the sixth seed, and push somebody in a best-of-seven first-round series, and that's what they're going to go for, and they're going to keep everybody here, and then at the end of the year, deal with Kuzma and deal with the others. I don't, I'm not suggesting that two games should change their mind, but what do you think they're going to do? Are they going to be buyers or sellers? So David Aldridge and I go into this in a piece that published Monday morning in The Athletic, and I think it's fair to say that we agree with you. Uh, they're not going to be selling. Selling is the word. I, yeah, I hate to use the word, but that's the word. I guess that's applicable. They're not going to sell their core pieces unless uh, they bring aboard better players. Uh, so they might, they might, they would love to trade Will Barton. Uh, they would love to, uh, as long as they don't have any long-term salary commitments coming back, they would like to trade. Uh, well, they might like to trade uh, some other small, like rarely used players. But I think they're going to try to improve uh, along the margins. It's not that they say, "Oh, we want to improve along the margins." They would love to bring in an all-star caliber player, but the combination of the young players on their roster and the contracts that they have and the lack of first-round picks to trade make it more likely that if they make moves, these will be moves that will be kind of incremental in scope. So let's just say that they take that course, which is doing very little uh, little other than maybe you know a smaller piece at the end of their roster, and that they're not able to buy any sort of significant upgrade. Where do you think this season goes? How many wins do they have in them? I know you'll tell me it's contingent on who's healthy and who plays, but let's assume the the relative the, the, the health that they've been at. Beal misses some games. Kuzma misses some games. Porzingis misses games. But they're all around for the majority of the remainder of the of the season. Season. Do they win enough games to to qualify for the for the postseason play-in or not? Yeah, they can. I think they'll wind up with about thirty-eight wins, which might be enough this crazy year. If if, if Toronto winds up selling, which they could, um, that they're one of the swing teams in the days ahead. They could go either way, uh, and Chicago potentially. Could. I don't think they're going to have a massive rebuild, but they could make a, a move to, to move off salary. So um, it's possible. But what we're talking about here, we're not, I cannot envision any circumstance in which they finish in the top six. Right. I don't think I, I can't envision a, a circumstance in which they finish within the top even seven. And seven through ten is the play-in. So I think uh, there is an opportunity to get into the play-in. But I think the Wizards and, and probably the majority of the league disagree about how good the team would be, even if it's fully healthy. 
I mean, I'm telling you, in the first half of the Portland game the other night, I was like, this team's gonna, this team's on a run. This team's gonna win 42, 43 games, and they're gonna end up being the sixth seed. Uh, you know, I, I really felt that way Friday night, and then 24, or 26, or 27 hours later, I did not uh, feel that way. Um, let's just talk about a couple of the players on the team. What do you think the chances are that they're able to re-sign Kuzma at the end of this year? They appear to be strong. The, all the, they don't seem all that concerned, uh, not even the slightest bit concerned, that they would be able to re-sign him. Now, they're not going to... They're never going to tell any reporter. They're not going to tell any reporter. I don't care who it is. Um, hey, we're worried about resigning this guy because that would that would hurt their their leverage, both to resign him and in the trade market. They're not. But it, they would have to be really good poker players here if they're if they're feigning confidence. And there's, I just find it impossible to believe. I know there's a lot of skepticism about the Wizards' front office in the DMV. I know that. I, I, I see it and hear it every day. I read it every day. There's no way they keep him beyond 3, 3 p.m. on Thursday if they are not convinced that they will resign him. And if they do keep him and he signs elsewhere, well, then that's organizational malpractice. Right. I, I, just, I just cannot see uh, a circumstance in which if, if he's around at 3.01 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, I think that they will resign him. I think they would have a, a deal in place, you know, an unspoken kind of wink-wink deal in place where they, they would have him. And then if he signs elsewhere, well, then that's, a, that's a, probably a huge problem unless they somehow work out a sign-in trade. But um, I, I, think, I think he stays. Josh, what, what, what could they get back for him if they did deal him because they weren't confident they could resign him? So the team, the kind of team that would be looking for him now, would be a team that's trying to elevate closer to contender status, or a, a team really that doesn't have the cap space. They would want to take in his bird rights in a trade right now. Uh, at most, I think it would be a late first round pick and and maybe a pretty good young player, but not a not a young player who would be um, destined for stardom. Let's put it like that. Not not like the deal Oklahoma City got for Paul George, in which they got Shea Gilgis Alexander right. and Gallinari and a boatload of picks. This would be, you know, a first round pick, maybe a protected first round pick, and a pretty good young player, but not a great young player. That's that's how I view it. Um, all right, I want to talk about Bradley Beal. <clears throat> He's played 31, I think, of the 52 games this year. He's in, as we know, um, in the first year of a $251 million deal. Um, and uh, and by the way, the last year of that deal is a player option for $57 million in the year 26-27. Do you think it's impossible to think that the Wizards – now know that they made a mistake with this deal and they could look potentially to deal him to a contender for a lot back? Or do you think that his contract is untradeable? No, the contract is not untradeable considering how John Wall was injured and hadn't played for a long time uh, and was traded. The contracts can be traded, and one of the hallmarks of Shep- Tommy Shepard's general managership is is this creative trading. They could unload it 
but the fact that there's a no-trade clause limits the number of teams where they could ever trade him to right. to only the teams that he would want to go to. Uh, really what it would take is, is Beal going into the office of either Tommy Shepard or more likely Ted Leontis and telling them, hey, I want out. They wouldn't have to trade him then, but um, that, that would set things in motion. Do they feel like they made a mistake? No, because it's very difficult to determine how people really feel. You know, people in the league would, would argue, and they've told me this, that uh, and this is only their guess. This is only their guess. This is just them reading tea leaves that if, if Tommy Shepard had full autonomy to make every, any move he wanted, that he would, he would have traded Beal at some point in the last two years. But it was, the, it was Ted Leontis who wanted to take this so-called middle-build strategy. Uh, we'll never know. We'll never know where Tommy's um, goals started and, and ended and, and the degree to which they overlapped with Leontis. Because uh, ultimately the owner of a team calls the shot. Um, but it, it can get moved, but when and if it ever does, it would only be to a limited number of teams that Brad would want to go to. And if they don't surround him with enough talent, that's somewhere down the line that really may occur. I mean, what do you think Bradley Beal is? Is he a number two or is he a number three on a championship contending team? Because he's not a number one, clearly. I, yes, I concur with that. Especially now, at, at he's only he's only twenty nine, but he's not he, he's not going to get in, inherently better. He's not going to show elements to his game that he hasn't shown so far. With the with the caveat being that he plays alongside a guy like an Embiid or a guy like a LeBron or or Anthony Davis, the guys you play alongside can bring out the very best in you. And here he's asked to be the number one player. Um, he, he is, depending on how good the number one player is, he, he would be a number two or a number three. Like a number two in the way that, say, Chris Middleton is the number two in, in Milwaukee. Um, right. Not in the way that, say, Anthony Davis is the number two with the Lakers. Understood. It, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I, – I, I think it's clear, and, and I think it was clear at the time, not that they had a lot of other – um, solutions there other than to just clean the decks. Um, but they're not going to win as long as this contract is is there unless they get very lucky and draft somebody in the first round that turns out to be the next, you know, Kawhi Leonard or Giannis in the middle of the first round. Like that's going to have to be their path to championship contention is to identify and kind of get lucky with a mid-first-round pick. Do you agree with that? Uh, to a, to an extent, I agree with it. The two scenarios you say are are accurate, but it's not the only avenue. Uh, another avenue would be for some sort of um, distress, a player in a distressed situation, along the lines of you know Kyrie wanted out. Now it's not Kyrie; that's a bad example. But KD, you know, what, what about say, KD? What about Kevin Durant? Well, yes. Well, Kevin Durant, I don't think would ever want to come play for Washington for reasons that have very little to do with the franchise, but. Um, Yes, but like a Kevin Durant, if Kevin Durant goes into Joe Sy's office and Sean Mark's office and demands out, that would be what I'm talking about. Or let's say the Chicago Bulls 
um, after a season in which they miss even the play-in, which could happen this year, uh, and they lose Vucevic, and, and Vucevic, their center is likely gone, maybe they've determined that they want to start a rebuild. And maybe they are eager to move off the contract of Zach Levine. Uh, in that case, perhaps the Wizards somehow could trade the one pick that they're able to trade or eventually two picks that they're able to trade and a young player for Levine. Now, I don't think the Levine-Beal pairing would be a good one, but that's the kind of route they could take. Um, admittedly, I, I understand why fans would, would not be optimistic. Right. Um, because, yes, that contract for a number two or at best player on a championship team is an albatross. That's true. Um, all right. One more before I let you go, because I know you got to run. You've got uh, practice uh, to cover and players to talk to um, uh, before tonight's Cleveland game. So your reaction to Kyrie Irving and the trade to Dallas, and then just explain, if you will, because I don't know the answer to this, why these picks are so far out into the future now. In that trade, uh, probably because they have picks tied up uh, for other obligations. There's a rule in the NBA where you can't trade your own first-round pick two years in a row, which is the crux of the Wizards' problem on the trade market now. They have a, a, a commitment to what is now the Knicks, where they might have to convey one of their picks as late as 2026, which means the earliest they can trade one of their first-round picks is 2028. But you asked about the Mavericks. That deal is all about Luka Doncic and the Mavericks' kind of existential dread that one day in the not-too-near future, Doncic walks into Cuban's office and Nico Harrison's office and says, hey, I want out. You haven't surrounded me with a quality enough supporting cast. And so this is kind of their Hail Mary move to take um, a very problematic personality but an incredible talent uh, on hoping that they can then say, hoping that it will work. Or beyond that, say, hey, we know this didn't work, Luca, but we did. We moved heaven and earth to get you a star. We'll try and do that again. You know, give us a mulligan on this one. That's what this is. That's what that trade is really about. But you think Luca had to say yes, make the trade for Kyrie? I can't imagine that they don't keep him informed every right. step along the way. Do you think that they'll pay him? That they'll pay Kyrie? Yes, but not for a long-term deal. The two, the yeah, two-year, eighty-two million or whatever, they'll do that. Yes, and even that's risky. Exactly. With, with but, but you know, I'm, uh, they apparently feel like they're desperate, and that's the way it is when you have a, a near generational talent, uh, an MVP candidate like Luca. Yeah, you got to keep these guys happy. You know, it's it's, it's, the, it's the player empowerment era, man. <laughs> and it's and it's different than it was in Dr. J's time. Uh, it's different than it was. Well, Dr. J had a great supporting cast, but um, you see where I'm going with this. This is yeah. all about keeping Luca for the long term. Yeah. I just think that what Durant and Kyrie did in Brooklyn um, that Josiah and, and, and Sean Marks allowed them to do, I think it, it'll, make, it'll make it difficult, uh, at least in the immediate future, for players to try to – to basically call all the shots because it was such a disaster there. Um, I know you got to run, but real quickly, in a wide-open NBA right now, give me the two finalists. You said the two finalists? Yeah. It's a wi- uh, to me, it's wide, op- as wide open as we've seen it in a while. 
So give me Agreed. the give me the Eastern Conference final finalist and the Western Conference finalist. All right. So I think it's going to be Boston in the East and in the West. Uh, I'm kind of I'm hedging here. I would say Denver is now the the leading candidate. That they could use a little bit more help there. But uh, and they'll be interesting to track over the next three days. But I, w- I would say Denver is the most likely team to advance, especially if they finish the regular season with home court advantage. Josh, thanks. Appreciate it. Get to work. I appreciate you making time for me. I'll talk to you soon. Pleasure's mine. Good to see you, Kevin. Thanks to Josh. Thanks to Ruben Frank, who joined us on the show today. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.